Ruth. The Old Testament book of Ruth. Very short book. Just uh, four chapters, I think it is. Yeah, four chapters. And uh, go to Ruth chapter 2. This is a very interesting book. Many of y'all have probably read this once or twice. And uh, I think I've, I've referenced this book a number of times, but I think this is probably the first time I've actually preached a sermon um, from the book of Ruth. Uh, but while you're headed there, I want, to, I want to read a passage to you from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. That verse says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Well, if you're there in the book of Ruth, I know I told you to go to chapter 2, but go over to chapter 3, look at verse 11. Chapter 3 of Ruth, verse 11. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requires, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So the answer to who can find a virtuous woman, Boaz can. Boaz found him a virtuous woman. He told her that the whole city knew that she was virtuous, so he could find one. In fact, of all the women in the Bible, Ruth is the only one in Scripture whom God calls a virtuous woman. I realize this isn't Mother's Day, nor are we all women this morning, uh, but this book is not just for women. It's a book of faith. It's a book of grace. It's a book of hope. And it's a book of love. The story of Ruth is filled Quite, quite frankly, with mountaintop events that stand alone on, their, on themselves, but together come to, are even greater than the sum of bringing them all together, the, greater than the sum of all of its, its parts. And we know the story of, of Ruth, many of us who've been in, in, in church for a while, even, even as, a, as a young person there in Sunday school or children's church, we know the story. There was a great famine in the land of Israel, and in, in, in an effort to provide for his family, this young Jewish man named Elimelech, he moved his family, his wife and two children, his wife Naomi and his two children, moved them to the land of Moab. He and his wife and Naomi, he and his wife Naomi and their two sons, they left the promised land that was in a famine, and they chose to live in the land of Moab for more than a decade. And during that time, their two sons that they took with them married Moabite women. And even though life back in Israel seemed a bit more bleak than it did in Moab because of the famine, Elimelech dies in Moab. And then his, one of his sons dies, and then the other one dies. And Naomi is left alone with her two daughter-in-laws. She became a widow and a stranger in a foreign land without provision. And after learning that Israel's famine was coming to an end, Naomi made the decision to just move back. So after leaving Israel for a better life, more than a decade prior, Naomi returned to Israel with less than what she left with in many, on many fronts. And as she made her way back, she met some of the, the women who knew her, and they barely recognized her. They were in disbelief. They said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? Naomi? You see, she was a broken woman. In fact, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, she said, call me not Naomi anymore which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. She went out full, and she came home empty. But by the clear providence of God, we read here, one of her daughter-in-laws, named Ruth, chose to cling to Naomi, 
and follow her to Israel. Which for Ruth, that's who that daughter was, that would be a foreign land for her. Naomi was in a foreign land in Moab. Ruth would be in a foreign land in Israel. And as bitter as Naomi had become over those years of being without her husband and being in that foreign land and being no doubt in poverty, Ruth still saw something in Naomi that other people didn't have. She saw that Naomi's God was different than the other people's gods. That maybe he was a real God. There was something different about Naomi. And so steadfast was Ruth in her decision to stay with Naomi. Y'all know the story. Uh, Naomi tells uh, Ruth and uh, her sister to go back. Um, go stay in Moab. Go be with your people. And Ruth says, I don't think so. I'm coming with you. I've lived with you. I've gotten to know you over these years. You're different. I'm coming with you. She even says that thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. Where you, got, where you die, I'm going to die. And to put this in perspective for us this morning, it's important for us to see that Ruth was not a Jew. She was Semitic, yes, but she was not of Abraham. Her descendants came from Lot, and the Moabites were often enemies of Israel. Enemies of Israel. They did not keep themselves from the world, and nor did they worship the true God. And in this, in, in all this scenario here, in all this, this situation here, Ruth easily represents all people today who are outside of the family of God. Ruth was a foreign-born widowed stranger in Israel who lived in poverty and had no claim to anything in Israel. She was a Moabite. And for us today who are outside of the family of God, hopefully none of us here or, or, or fit that category, but Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.12 that we are without Christ, we who are without Christ, are also strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So even though this historical narrative of Ruth occurred during the period of Judges, near the beginning of the book of Judges, at least no later than the middle, it occurred more than 3,000 years ago, Ruth and Naomi, and these events that are in here, even Boaz, they are a great example for us to follow today. A great example. And very quickly, I want to point out a few things this morning, but we're going to read through chapter 2 this morning before we get uh, into the text. Verse number 1 of Ruth, chapter 2. The Bible says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. Verse 2 says, And Ruth, the Moabitess, that's her daughter-in-law, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Again, this is back in Israel, and Ruth is working to help uh, put food on the table. Verse 3 says, And as she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Kind of a greeting back and forth between his servants. Verse 5, And then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. 
but abide here fast by my maids. And let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Verse 10 says, Then she fell on her face, and she bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed to me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou seest not heretofore. Verse 12 says, Then the, the Lord, Boaz tells her, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee under, of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of the handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip the morsel in, in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and reached her parched her corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up, I know this is long, but just stay with me, please. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and let them that she may glean, and, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned into the field until even, and beat out that which she had gleaned, and it was about an epoch of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. You can almost see her running, and to her mother-in-law saying what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed, after she finished her, her meal. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, This man's name whom I wrought today was Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, our next kinsman. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou goest, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you again for allowing us to be here this morning. But I pray, Lord, that you help us to see this text, the beauty in this text, Lord, the truths here that, Lord, just transcend uh, things in this life, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to see these things. Help us to help me to convey these truths that you gave to me, Lord, and help us above all. Lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've entitled this message this morning, A Virtuous Bride. And you'll probably see some transitions in what this might mean to you during the, uh, during the sermon here. But we have a, a virtuous bride. And number one, I want you to look back at verse number two of chapter two of Ruth. Let's just put one and two together. Naomi had a kinsman of her, uh, of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean. Let me now go to the field and glean. So number one this morning, Ruth labored 
in faith. She was a worker. She was not lazy. She was a laborer. She did not wallow in her poverty, although she could have. She worked to get out of that poverty. She could have easily resorted to begging. She was a stranger. There were programs for this in Israel to help the widows and the strangers. She could have resorted to that begging. Like we see many people in the gospel sitting by the temple there just asking for money, but that was not Ruth. She didn't do such things. She labored. She truly lived up to the description of a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Verse 13 of that, pa- of that passage there in Proverbs says that a virtuous woman worketh willingly with her hands. And if you haven't read Proverbs 31 in a while, verses 10 down to 31, I think it is, read that. It's exciting to see what God believes a virtuous woman should be. And I believe this first point is simple, that she labored in faith. And I understand that, but it's foundational. This point is foundational. She was a laborer, a worker. You know, laziness is not an attribute of God. Not surprising, right? It's not an attribute of God, and nor should it be of God's people. And really, it shouldn't be of any person. Laziness should not be an attribute of any person. We should be laborers. Solomon wrote, uh, whosoever in Ecclesiastes, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do it, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. The previous pastor here, Pastor John Rayday, he used to say, anything less than your best is sin. We should be laborers. And whatever we find ourselves to do, we should do it with all our might. We are all guilty of failing, falling short of that. Ruth went to the fields to work, to clean, to labor. But I want to point out that she didn't just go to labor, as, as our first point says. She labored in faith. She labored according to the word of God. And you might think, how in the world does that happen? Take your Bible or either look at the screen here and go to Deuteronomy 24, 19. And 24, uh, chapter 24 past this, and many other passages talk about this. And this is just a highlight there. But the Bible says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee, in all the work of thine hands. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish thing, they had plans in place, like what we would call, I guess, our welfare system. But their welfare system required people to work. The folks would go out and say they had a square piece of land. They would go and harvest that land, but they would purposely leave the corners off. That was for the poor, for the widows, and for the strangers. They were not allowed to touch it. That was not theirs. It belonged to the poor and the widows and the strangers. And we get a principle there, not that it's a part of this message this morning, but we get a principle for there. For that poor person to go eat, he's got to go, he's got to go work. He's got to go in those corners, and he's got to do some things there. And you can take that politically or however you want to take that, but that's the way it's supposed to do. We are supposed to be workers, laborers. She went to the fields to glean. She labored. Ruth, no doubt, learned of this practice probably on the way to Israel. We don't know for sure, but she probably learned it from Naomi. As they were traveling back, however, they probably even walked back from Moab because they didn't have a whole lot of uh, money. Uh, as they walked back, Naomi probably says, well, this is, let me teach you some, some Jewish ways so you can blend in a little bit more. Now, we know that um, she didn't blend in completely because Boab, or Boab, Boaz recognized her as somebody that was a stranger, probably by her dress, her attitude, maybe even the way she looked, she was different. But she learned of this practice when she committed, or from Naomi, no doubt. And even though Naomi was bitter towards God at this time, 
I mean, she left. She said, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. Have you ever met a bitter person? They're, they're hard to be around. They're difficult. And I like the old saying, don't be bitter, be better. Follow, follow God. And I think it's important here with Naomi that even though she was bitter toward God at this time, it's significant that she still followed the Word of God. I think, that's, I think that speaks volumes of Naomi. She might be angry at God, and God took my sons, and God did this, and my husband. But she told Ruth to go glean in the fields because the Bible says that's where the poor, the widows, and the strangers go. So in essence, in essence Ruth first exercised faith in Naomi by going to glean in the first place. And then, as we know the story, she exercised her faith in Boaz, and then ultimately she exercised faith in God. And a couple of things are apparent here in our application of these truths. Even when we are not right with God, as was Naomi, we are to still obey God. Being not right with God is not an excuse to, well, God's not doing anything nice to me. Okay, (laughs) remember that when you're standing before him. Uh, so we are to be obedient no matter what. We are his children. We are his children. And I had a conversation with someone not too long ago you know, about the chastisement of God's children and how, how God disciplines them. I forget who that was with. But um, I, we talked about, I asked this individual, hey, you know, have you ever been caught with something when you're a child? You know, and he, he listed some things there or whatever. And I was like, so what happened? He's like, dad was not happy. Mom was not happy. And, uh, you know, it's been many years, so they applied the, I think, what does he call that thing? The paddle of discipline or something like that, you know, to him. And uh, he was not happy about that. And I was like, so did you do it by yourself or did you have a friend? I was like, yeah, me and my neighbor did it. I was like, what did your parents do to your neighbor? He's like, not a thing. I was like, hmm, I wonder why that is. He's like, well, they don't belong to him. I was like, well, think about that for a moment. As a child of God, when we're out of God's will, he's going to do things to us to bring us back into his will. We're going to talk about this later on, but remember, God's purpose for God's children is to make us like Jesus Christ, to conform us into his image. Naomi knew the scriptural principle here about how widows and strangers were to be be provided for, and she banked on it. She, She put stock into it. Again, this is, a, this is a simple point, but it's a foundational point. It's, a, it's, a, it's an effective point. We are to follow God even when we're bitter. We are to labor in faith. So second, Ruth's faith crescendoed again from Ruth to Boaz and then to God. She did not know what to expect on the fields, but her faith was followed by works. Her faith followed by works. Boaz told her in chapter 2 again, verse 12, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. He told Ruth, you have become a believer. You've become a truster in God, no doubt through Naomi, even her bitter gospel, if you will. You know, sometimes God changes our circumstances in order to change our heart, Right? But more often, he does a work in our heart that changes our circumstances, or at least the perspective of our circumstances. Remember, he's not in the business, again, of making us comfortable. He is in the business of making us conformable into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29, we are to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus wants us to be like him. 
And while God certainly does the conforming, which begins with a transforming for us that's trusting in Christ for eternal salvation as our Savior. So God does the conforming and the transforming, but there is a measure of faith required on our part. And not just empty faith. An empty faith, Ruth would have stayed at home. She wouldn't, she wouldn't go glean. A nominal faith would have kept Ruth still in the home or maybe sent her to the temple to be a beggar. And a faith that doesn't impact anything would have kept her right there. Those, that type of faith, the book of James says, is dead. dead. I've used this example before, but there's a bus stop right down the road here, maybe 500 meters. And I've been down there. I've looked at the schedule. It doesn't come on Sundays, unfortunately, and it comes at the weirdest schedule. Can we, can we get that fixed? <laughs> it comes at the weirdest times. Uh, maybe it's for the children or the school and stuff like that, you know, but it doesn't help me at all. I have a car, of course. But anyway, so I went down there looking at the bus stop because there was a time I lived here without a vehicle. And uh, so I didn't take the bus. But just for an example, for, for, for a good story, say that I did take the bus. And I went down there the day prior, and I said I, saw, I read that it came at noon. And the next day, it's around 11.30, and I know the bus is coming. So I get up, and I walk down there, and I get on the bus, right? I had faith in what was printed on that bus schedule. That bus schedule said the bus was coming at noon. So my faith in whoever wrote that schedule told me to be there at noon, and I caught the bus. Now, I didn't drive the bus. I didn't do anything on the bus. I didn't put fuel on the bus. I didn't pay for the bus. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just got on. My faith compelled me to get there. And that's the same thing. The Lord wrote this. Our faith should compel it. Uh, compel us to follow it. Ruth's faith compelled her to believe Naomi that there's going to be corn out there. There's going to be wheat on the edges. It compelled her to believe Boaz when he told her certain things, and it, ultimately it compelled her to believe in Boaz or believe what Boaz. So not an empty faith. Have a faith that works. Ruth labored in faith. Labor in faith. I want to stay here for a while, but we have... Wow. A lot more points to go, and it's only 15 minutes. I will try to be fast. Labor in faith. If we can just get Christians today to labor in faith, I think we would change our churches, our communities. We'd change a lot to labor in faith. But notice verse 2 again. Ruth said, Let me go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. So number two, she looked for grace. What a concept. You know, the Bible, the first time the word grace is used in the Bible is Genesis 6, 8, and Noah found grace in the eyes of God. The first time it's used in the book of uh, in the New Testament is Mary when she found favor uh, by the Lord or of the Lord. Grace. Ruth looked for grace. I realize that this chapter begins with the fact that Boaz was a near kinsman to Naomi, but she didn't know that yet. That's just for the, the person telling us, writing these things. She didn't know that yet. As one reads down this book and this chapter, as we've already read, it is clear that Naomi knew that Boaz was a near kinsman, but she didn't know that Ruth was going to go to his field. Even look at verse 2 again. I know it's in our, in our King James English here, but it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter, verse 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers here, get this now, and her hap was to light on a part of the field. Man, we say that a lot, don't we? By chance, she ended up in Boaz's fields. Now, the Bible says that, but we know that 
there are some linings behind here that God wanted her to be there. He used her happenstance, if you will. Remember, Naomi at this point didn't even have hope. She didn't, she didn't want to have. She was a broken woman. And at this point in her dialogue, she was too bitter to think that anybody would help them. She knew about Boaz, but she didn't go to Boaz. She stayed at home. And we don't know a whole lot about Naomi other than that she was bitter and then she's later on not bitter. But remember, she wanted people to call her bitter. She even said that God hath dealt very bitterly with me, so call me Mara. And for whatever reason, maybe of age or whatever it was, but Naomi never worked in the fields. She never gleaned. Ruth went to work. She went to go labor in those fields looking for grace, looking for grace. And you ever looked for grace? That's a good motivation. It's a good mindset to have in your walk with the Lord. Look for grace. She happened to find her way in the fields of Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech, her father-in-law. Boaz takes notice of her, and he asks, who, who's, this, who's this lady? And they said who it was, Moabites, the Moabites damsel named Naomi. And again, at this point in the dialogue, neither Boaz nor Ruth knew what was going to happen. I mean, we know the story. Boaz and Ruth, they get married. They have a child. His name is Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, and, of course, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. We know all that, but they didn't know that here. These are real people, and we are, lead, we are reading in their lives, uh, and they don't know what's coming next. They didn't know. Ruth had been married before, so we don't know how old she was, but Boaz was still much older than her, so that the idea of marriage is probably not at the top of their list. And the grace Ruth went looking for was probably not for a husband. She wanted food. She wanted grace that you can put your hands on. She looked for grace that would put food on her table for her and her mom. But because Boaz realized that she chose to come to Israel because of Naomi, to help Naomi, to a lady, to help a lady she wasn't even related to anymore, Boaz had compassion on her. He tells her that he can pretty much, that she can pretty much reap wherever she wants to reap, even behind the shearers. Go reap anywhere you want to reap. And he, get this now, Boaz went beyond the law. The law says you can do this. Boaz says you can go above the law. What a picture. What a picture of Jesus Christ. Go above the law. You can reap anywhere. You can eat anywhere. You can drink. You can even sleep here. And what was her response? Look at her response there in, let me see if I can find it there. Verse 10. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Look at verse 2 again, at the end of verse 2. I'm going to look in whose sight I shall find grace, and why have I found grace in your eyes, Mr. Boaz? You see, Ruth looked for grace, and she found so much more, so much more that she even realizes right here. For Ruth, this was just the beginning. Boaz, as we know, eventually redeems her. He redeems both of them, Naomi and her fields and all those things like that according to the law. In other words, the destitute property that belonged to Naomi through her husband Elimelech, through, her, uh, through him, they lived on that. They were poor. And by purchasing that land, Boaz, he still didn't have to marry Ruth or Naomi for that matter, but he still could redeem it. 
but we know that he did. Ruth, as we know, would later, contrary to maybe some of the ways we think, but Ruth proposes to Boaz. We'll come back to that for a moment here in a moment, but for now I want to point out that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And I want to, I want to get this picture together. In our looking for grace, we don't have to look further than Jesus Christ. You see, the law required Boaz to give a little, but he gave it all. He required him to give a little, just the edges, but he gave it all. And where the law ends, Boaz began. Where the law ends with us, grace began. John chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says the law was given by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So she labored in faith, she looked for grace, and then also she lived in hope. Look at verses 17 again, down to 20. Verse 17 down to 20, she gleaned in the field. We won't read, take the time to read all of that again, but she gleaned in the field. She looked for something better. Boaz had already blessed her, and she's living in the hope of what his grace could be, if you will. So in her looking for grace, it's also clear that she lived in hope. And I want to point out that even in the, in the world today, hope is a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. It changes the outcomes of war sometimes. Hope. She didn't know the outcome here, but she had hope. Her hope was so real, it not only impacted her actions, and it not only impacted her outlook on life, but that of her mother-in-law. Her hope impacted Naomi. Remember again Naomi. When they first returned to Israel, they looked at her and like, Is this Naomi? And she left with all these fancy clothes or whatever it may be, and now she's destitute. She looks poor. She was broken. She went out full and came back empty. She was bitter. She was beyond hope and broken. In her mind, in the mind of Naomi, and kind of put yourself there. I want you to envision yourself in her mind, in her position you could easily get to the point that this is my life story. This is it. I went out. I tried to do my very best with my husband. My son's died. My husband's died. This is a miserable life. I'm going to come back to Israel, and I'm going to die a poor woman right here on this destitute piece of land. This is my life. But when Ruth returned home from the fields that day, after everything began to change in Naomi, Naomi saw what Ruth had gleaned. She looked at the amount that Ruth had gleaned and was amazed at how much it was. When Naomi saw what she gleaned, she asked, where have you been? Whose fields did you glean in? And she said, blessed is that man who took knowledge of thee. And when Ruth responded that she gleans in the fields of Boaz, get this now, I, I, I hope I can convey this. Say, Naomi's in that position where she's bitter, she's broken, she's beyond hope, she has all this thing, we're just going to get barely enough stuff, and this rich man that she knows that's related to her, Boaz, has shown grace to her daughter-in-law, and Ruth comes home, Naomi sees the, the amount, and she says, who did that? Boaz. I think her heart skipped a beat. It probably sank a little bit. What, what do you mean, Boaz? He can redeem us. We don't have to live in this poverty. And who knows what she thought, but I think something changed in her heart. Whatever, whatever, whatever makes our hope spark, something happened again to Naomi. Hope began to re be um, revived. 
that part that produced hope that had been dormant for many years was sparked by the grace of Boaz. Hope reborn through the actions of another. You know, in verse 2, when Ruth first went out to glean, what did Naomi tell her? Just go. No prayers, no blessings, no, I hope you get a good glean, no, I hope you be safe, I hope you don't run into some crazy men out there. Just go. But upon her return in verse 20, she says, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Now, she is clearly asking the Lord to bless Boaz, but she also recognizes that it was God that not left off the kindness to the living, her and Ruth, and to the dead, her husband, because of this kinsman redeemer. You see, this historical narrative is certainly about the life of Ruth, but it's also about the life of Naomi. Yes, God allowed some terrible things to occur in her life. I mean, I know we read this sometimes, but get this, she lost her husband. She lost her sons. But through her, God brought out the best in Ruth. Without Elimelech's choice to go to Moab in the first place, without the desire of son, his son Malon to marry Ruth, and without Naomi's love and support for her family, including her in-laws, in spite of her circumstances, you know, Ruth would still be without hope. If Naomi didn't show just anything or something for, for Ruth to see, Ruth would have left, would have stayed in Moab. But she didn't stay in Moab. She followed Yes, Ruth made her own choice to follow Naomi back to Israel, but it would never have happened if Naomi didn't love her, didn't take attention to her. I just want to say all that to say this. Friends, relationships matter. They make a difference. Most of us are in church because of a relationship, number one, with Jesus Christ, but with somebody else who cared enough about us to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we respected them enough to follow that lead relationships matter more than we can ever imagine. I am here because of a relationship. My wife is here because of a relationship. All of us, no doubt, are probably here because somebody told us. And while Ruth no doubt looked up to and loved Naomi like her own mother and trusted her advice, Ruth did as much for Naomi as Naomi ever did for Ruth. Ruth taught Naomi how to live in hope all over again. Remember, she went to Moab. She probably was hopeful happy, we're going to make this work. But she came back broken, and Ruth taught her how to live in hope again. She went out saying that the Lord had testified against me, and now she says, blessed be he of the Lord. A different, a change in heart. She now had hope, and that hope changed her entire outlook on life. That's what hope does. when, When we have hope, we don't focus on the bad things in life. We focus on Christ, and we focus on the good that can be. We don't look at the negative. We have a, at least I do, we have this automatic response to look at the negative. Well, I'll probably get a flat tire on the way to the airport on Wednesday. I'll probably miss my airplane. Why would we think that way? Look at the other side of life. Look at hope. Hope makes us believe in greater things and the good that could be, and ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about Naomi. She knew about the redemption law in Israel. She knew that she had a near kinsman, but she didn't do anything about it. She never left her home. She believed that no one could ever help her. But by happenstance, one of the richest men in Israel, the Bible says a mighty man in wealth, takes notice of Ruth, a widowed, non-Jewish stranger 
living in deep poverty, and that gave Naomi hope. It changed everything. And the similarities in all of this to our situation is striking. You see, we too began as strangers before God. We were in deep spiritual poverty where we were, as Paul wrote, without God in this world. We were without Christ, without hope. But regardless of who you are, and regardless of where we are from, or what land we come from, or what ethnicity, it doesn't really matter. There is a Boaz for us today, and that Boaz is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Boaz took notice of Ruth just like God has taken notice of us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our near kinsman, much like Boaz was to Ruth. Now get this now, Ruth was a Gentile. I'll try to be done here quickly. But Ruth was a Gentile lived from the land of Moab, Boaz was a Jew. These are two opposing cultures, if you will. But this Boaz was more than your average Jew because he had a special lineage. Yes, he had a lineage in Jesus Christ. That's the most special thing about uh, Boaz. But in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Salmon, his father, begat Boaz of Rahab. Rahab. Y'all remember Rahab, right? She was the prostitute, the former prostitute that, that hid the spies there in Jericho. She was indeed not a Jew, but very much a Gentile. So not only was Boaz a Jew, uh, a Jewish near kinsman who could redeem Elimelech and all that belonged to Elimelech, but he was also a Gentile. Boaz was a Gentile as much as he was a Jew. You could say, I like to say, he was all Jew and all Gentile. You can probably see where I'm going with that. But while we're here, before we close that point out, I'd like to say that before God, there's really no such thing as half and half. There's just not. In fact, even at the genome level, we are all 99.9% the same. And while we have many different ethnicities and cultures and subcultures, and we should honor those things, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but there is truly one race of humans, and we're all in this together. We're all the same. God created Adam and Eve, and we all come from them. And while God did choose a people group through which he would bless the world, the Jews, that blessing wasn't tied to a Jewish bloodline, unless we talk about the blood that's on the cross, but it was bound by faith. In Romans 9, 6, Paul wrote that they are not all Israel, which are, which are of Israel. And in Romans 4, 13, he says, For the promise was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words... Boaz was indeed a Jew, but more importantly, he was a person of faith, a person of faith. And what is also significant is that similar to how Boaz was both Jew and Gentile, able to redeem both Jew and Gentile, Naomi and, her, or, and Ruth, take that even further, Jesus was and is all God. He's the owner of cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says, but he was and is also man, all God. All man who bled and died for our redemption. So like Naomi and Ruth, we too have a kinsman redeemer, and that's the Lord. Our labor in faith, our looking for grace, and life in hope is not in vain. It's in him. It's in him. And before we close this morning, I'll bring one, one last point. It's quick. I promise. I hope to promise. I hope to fulfill that promise. One more truth from the book of Ruth. Take, take your Bible and go to chapter 3 and verse 16. Verse 16. 
Ruth chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, this is after she uh, proposed to Boaz, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done unto her. So she not only lived in hope, but she loved with humility. So again, without reading the entire story of Ruth, and for the sake of time, I thought this one verse was a great summary of Ruth's love for Boaz. Again, right after she proposes to Boaz, Boaz pretty much agreeing to marry her if the other kinsmen would not redeem. And here comes Naomi back home. Now, uh, Ruth back home. Now, she certainly know, knew what Ruth looked like, but this was a different day. She was engaged. She, her countenance had no doubt changed. Her, she had a radiant glow about her. I just talked to my daughter a couple days ago. She's got that radiant glow when I, when I see her on the videos. That's kind of what Ruth had when she came through the door. And Naomi's like, who is this young lady? She's a little different. She's got a little hop in her step. She's, she's happy. She's, she had hope before. Now it's just bubbling over. Who is this Ruth? Naomi knew her, but now she just... Uh, it was just better. It was just different. And as soon as she walked through the door, who is this happy on top of the world lady? The closing part of the book of Ruth and the lives of Ruth and Naomi truly turned out better than they could have ever expected. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, you too can have a life that turns out better than you accepted. If your sins are not paid for, there's so much more to live in this life. I'm telling you, I've lived the other side. Many of us have. It's better with Jesus. Everything is better with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context of Ruth, Boaz showed grace to Ruth before she loved him. Y'all get that? Boaz showed grace to Ruth before Ruth loved him. And God has shown grace to every person on this planet before we love him. He loved us first, and then we love him. And we accept that payment on the cross. Notice that Boaz gave her grace before they were married. His grace to her was a great motivator for her to love him. And today, God's grace for us in the person of Jesus is the greatest motivator of all time. Romans 3.23 states that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin are death. But praise God, our life story doesn't end there because the gift of God is eternal life. You see, God commended His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, He died for us. And when Ruth entered Israel as a stranger, she didn't remain a stranger. She's elevated among Jewish uh, scholars today. She didn't remain a stranger. By grace through faith, she experienced the great hope of redemption. And when you and I entered this world without Christ as strangers from the confidence of promise, like Ruth... We don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. We too can experience the great hope of redemption by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the bride of Christ, whom we are, as his redeemed church, we can live out what it means as a church to be virtuous by laboring, by looking, by living, and by loving. And with that said, let's, let's close in a word of prayer.